All right. Psalm 119, verse number 17. Let's pray together and then we'll read the last uh, set of eight that we read last week. And then we'll also continue into the next set of eight, um, starting in verse number 25 for this week. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. Uh, Lord, your mercies are new. Whether we wake up and we feel, um, whether we feel saved, whether we feel close to you, whether we wake up and we're zealous and, and desirous toward you, Lord, you know how we are. Co- we constantly change from day to day and our feelings are up and down. And, uh, but Lord, we know that your mercy is faithful and your goodness never changes toward us. Lord, as we look in your word, I pray that your word would have its effect upon us, Lord, upon me. I pray, like uh, our verse from last week, that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Please teach us, Lord. We really need your help this morning. I pray for those that can't be here. I pray for Brother Vernon and uh, Sister Betty as they're traveling or will be traveling. Uh, I pray your blessing upon them and especially upon uh, Sister Barnett that's in the hospital now. Please give grace to her and wisdom to those that are trying to help her uh, as they try to find the right treatments and the right causes and such. Uh, Lord, please bless uh, those among us that are sick who can't be here. Please, uh, Lord, just bring them back to us quickly. And I pray, Lord, that you would, again, please speak to us this morning and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, verse number 17 says this, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Now going back to verse number 21, we've already covered 17 through 20 last week. I just want to tie up a few loose ends here. Look at verse 21. It says this, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed. Now that's a that's a striking statement because if you think about, you know, you think you think of a curse in the scripture, a curse is a very powerful powerful word. 
Like when you when you say when Paul said, I believe it was in First uh, Corinthians, right? At first or Second Corinthians, where he says, "If any man love not the Lord our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha," which means let him be cursed at his coming, and which is to say, let him perish in hell, which is a I mean a striking thing. You think of what the law says about a curse. The Bible says, "Cursed is every one." that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So when you think of a curse, you think of a person who is spiritually just rejected, who God has rejected. They are under God's curse. In other words, uh, which would be kind of the opposite of, of peace and peace with God. The Lord was became a curse for us. Now, what's interesting about this verse in particular is that you have the, the proud, which is the personification of a, per, of a person who, is, who has pride, right? Pride and, and, of course, its evil sense. And in verse number, uh, well, let me read the definition of, of pride, uh, the proud here. Having a, it means having a, an exalted or high opinion of one's own worth or importance, Disposed to feeling superior, having inordinate self-esteem, haughty or arrogant. Now notice in verse 21 it says this, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, this is the part I want you to note, which do err from thy commandments. Here's the thing, pride in us. Pride is something that, that is found in our hearts. It's something you cannot see, but it manifests itself in the way we act. Pride is something that grows out of our heart, and its fruit is what is, what is in our lives that others see. But pride, unlike many other types of like sins or faults, flaws, character flaws, or however you want to, you want to describe it, Pride is something that is particularly revolting to God. Pride is something that is particularly heinous and averse to God's nature. And in fact, the Bible says the proud are far off from God. God doesn't go near them. God distances himself from the, from, from the proud. He might not do that with, other, with people with other vices in their lives, but pride in particular is something that is particularly um, uh, hateful to God. And it says this, first of all, they're cursed. That tells you, that tells you what God thinks of it. But in, but in this, it says, which do err from thy commandments. I thought what Spurgeon said on this point was good. It says this, only humble hearts are obedient, for they alone will yield to rule and government. For they alone will yield to rule and government. Now hear me. This is, this is the basic problem with a proud man. A proud man and a wicked man are, are kissing cousins. All right? Here's the basic problem with a proud man. Is a proud man is one who will not yield because he thinks he knows better. He thinks that doesn't apply to him. He thinks that, he thinks that uh, he's above that. It's, and that's what Spurgeon is pointing out. I like maybe the way he puts it. He says, the humble man will alone yield to rule and government. See, nobody in, their, nobody in our, our base, basic nature likes other people to rule them, right? Nobody likes that. 
But you know what? That is a fact of our, of our life and our existence. No matter where we are, even, if, even, as, even as a man, even if your parents have already passed off the scene and you're a man in your family, you are the head of your home. You are the head of your family. You are the patriarch of your children and your grandchildren. Yet, none of us, not even that person, lives in a place where we have no rule and have no government over us. Every one of us has it. If, it, if, if not someone directly over us, maybe a, a father, maybe a husband, maybe, uh, maybe a, a boss at work, yet, yet we might, even the government itself is a, is, a, is a rule over us. And what you'll find is that the proud man, just mark it, mark it. The proud man is the man or woman that rebels against any kind of rule, right? Rebels against any kind of leadership and authority in their lives. And that's why you also you find proud men often are the ones criticizing leadership. Now, that doesn't mean leadership, human leadership is above criticism, but what I'm saying is, it's that heart of rebellion that causes them to to take shots at it all the time, all the time, all the time. It is a feature. It is a mark of the proud. And this is why they do not obey God's commandments. Because they say in their heart, who is going to rule over me? And that heart is what causes them to err and not keep God's commandments. So in practice, what does the proud do? In practice, they do like many others, the, like, like the young foolish man we read about earlier who sins, right, in, in the matters of the, of the women, right, with the, with the lusts. That's, he also errs from the commandments. But for the proud man, the motivation is different. With the proud man, the motivation comes out of rebellion, the unwillingness to yield to authority and to someone ruling over them. Be careful of pride, but not only be careful, of course, be careful of pride in your heart, but I found it very instructive to note when I see pride manifest itself in others. What it does is it, it, gives, it gives me pause, right? It instructs me as to the type of person I might be dealing with. And so it helps us know kind of how, how maybe close or what kind of relationship we, sh- we should have with people like that. And uh, I mean, I could give you examples, personal examples, where uh, I, I just I'll give you a I'll give you a uh, an anonymous example. Uh, there's a person that I know who, in his relationships with authorities in the church, refuses to call the pastor pastor and his name. He refuses to do that. He always calls him by his first name. Now, is it a sin to call Pastor Stewart Jeff? What would he say? He would probably look at you funny if I, if I, if I, said, if I said Jeff. But, so it's not a matter of a sin or anything like that. But when someone, in, when someone intentionally does that and intentionally, uh, intentionally goes against leadership like that, they're revealing something about themselves. Right? They're revealing their, their aversion to rule, to someone being in leadership. And like I said, every one of us, every one of us has leadership over us. Every one of us. Pastor Stewart has leadership over him, even though he's a pastor of the church. 
right? The government leaders had leadership over them as well. So just, just note that about, about the proud because they err from, from the commandments of God. Look at the next verse. Verse 22. Um, I'm sorry, verse 23. Princes also did, did sit and speak Against, against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. We already talked about meditation. That is, somebody give me a definition of meditation. Hopefully we've learned this lesson by now. We spent a couple weeks on meditation. What is meditation? Somebody help me. Come on now, come on now. Exactly, it's engaging the mind, thinking intentionally upon what the Lord says. That's what meditation is. Not the emptiness of the mind, but rather the activation of the mind. Now look at verse 24. It says this, and then we'll move on to our next set of eight. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Notice God's word, the testimonies of God are his counselors. We've already talked about delighting in God's word when we did our major theme study. But when we talk about the testimonies, the Word of God being our counselor. So I want to ask you a simple question. Do you, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, do you consult God's Word before making decisions? Do you consult God's Word before making decisions? It says here that thy testimonies are my counselors. Do you take counsel from God's Word? Now, this doesn't say God Himself, but we know the Word of God is an extension of the Lord and His will and His wisdom, all right? So, do you take that counsel from God's Word? Or do you make your decisions based upon the input you get from your own heart and mind, your emotions, your dispositions, your biases, or... Do you make decisions based upon the pressure that other people put to bear upon you? Or do you make decisions based upon God's counsel, God's Word? See, God's Word is supremely useful in guidance. That's one of the reasons God gave us His Word. In Psalm 73, verse 24, it says this. I'll read it to you. Excuse me. It says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. See, God's counsel, which is in his word, what he instructs us to do is what guides us and gives us understanding in our decisions in 2023. Psalm 107. If you would look at that really quick, hold your place in Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 107. Notice the grammar here. This is what, you, what, what is called a Hebrew parallelism. Now you say, well, actually it's, it's Hebrew poetry, but it's Hebrew poetry doesn't use rhyme like we use. Hebrew poetry uses structure. And you see it in, in, our, in our English Bible, even though it's not Hebrew. And it's very helpful. You just maybe haven't recognized it as Hebrew poetry, but I'm about to show you an example of it. Chapter... Uh, Psalm 107, verse number 11, says this, Because they rebelled 
against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. You see that? Now, those of you that are grammar people and you, you are interested in this kind of thing, the subject of the sentence is they. Notice, they rebelled. There's two verbs in this. It's a, it's a parallel construction. There's two verbs. They rebelled and contemned. You see that? They rebelled against the words of God and contemned, that means to despise, the counsel of the Most High. So here's what you have. The words of God and the counsel of God are parallel in this structure. It's the direct object in, in, in the sentence. Two direct objects. So what that means is the words of God are God's counselors. God is going to tell you and me what to do in our decisions by His Word. Even if His Word might not directly address some issue that we're dealing with. You know, like the Bible has nothing to say about payday loans in particular. <laughs> but it does have principles and precepts that are applicable to that. And even if it's something even further out that that's maybe deals with the internet or, or social media or some other thing that maybe is newfangled that wouldn't, wouldn't be covered directly and precisely with the Bible, yet the Word of God's counsel will give us instruction and inform our decision-making. Now, how do we use the Word of God as a counselor? What God does with His Word is this. God gives us broad limits. Listen, try to understand what I'm saying because it's hard for me to explain. God sets broad limits, things that are absolutely off limits, right? For instance, in, our, in our, our set of eight, I just read a minute ago, it talks about lying, the way of lying. You know and I know that deception in any form is off limits, right? As far as the counsel of God is concerned, it's off limits. So if we're making a decision that, that goes into the area of deception, if that's one of our choices in our decision-making process, we know that's not what God wants us to do. In other words, God sets boundaries and says, you stay within these boundaries. So that's one way the Lord does it. You know what, what else the Lord does in His Word is He gives us good and bad examples that are instructive to us. Even though He might not direct, directly address what these people have done, yet you can see the fruit and the outcome of the circumstance, and that can give you instruction as to what, uh, what you should do. God gives us insight into the motivations of people in the Scripture, why people do what they do, and that helps us uh, examine our own motivations, which helps us make decisions. And, further, and furthermore, you know, how many of you know the verse that says, in the multitude of counselors there is safety? Remember, this verse, said, what does it say in Psalm 119? Verse number 24, my counselors, plural. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So one way the Lord directs us and guides our way is he tells us how to get counsel. And that, in turn, helps us guide our, guide our way and make, help, helps us make wise decisions. Here's the point. None of that matters, though, 
if we do not seek to get counsel from God's Word. If we are going to be Bible Christians, then God's Word must be what guides our decisions. Not other input, not pressures, but the firm precepts and principles of what God says. You know, I mean, I could go into many things with, you know, issues of when people get divorced and they want to get married again. What God's Word says that. Some of these big decisions in life determine what they do or don't do. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times, whether they set God's Word before them, that is in front of them, or put it behind them where it's not visible, which we'll read in just a minute, determines whether they follow God's Word or not, whether they take His counsel or not. The important thing is that you submit and I submit. We submit ourselves to God's Word and say, Lord, you know best. I want to know what you say. Show me something from your Word. I'll give you an example, okay? When we were making the difficult decision to, to when we were on furlough in 2020, we were, making, we were having to make a difficult decision as to whether we would return to Cambodia or whether we would stay in the United States. And the reason we had to make a difficult decision was, was a large part of that was my wife's unpredictable health concerns. What many of you might not know is that for our, basically our entire last term on the field, four years, almost four years we were there, we were taking at least yearly, sometimes twice a year, trips to Thailand for her health needs. And actually, she was, she was getting worse, and it was getting more frequent. Her headaches, and, and Lester knows about that, the migraine headaches, and there was no relief at all. And it wasn't just that, it was other things, but other things related to her health concerns. But here's the point. Here's what I mean by that. Does the Bible anywhere tell us, Adam, you should go back to the mission field or not go back to the mission field. No, it doesn't, it's not going to, I wasn't expecting the Bible to say that. It, the, we don't use the Bible like a superstition where we just open it and say, whatever this verse says is what I should do. No, 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 that's not the way you're supposed to, you're, we're supposed to use the Bible intelligently, right? So one of the things that came in, one of the, the precepts and principles of God's word that came into to play with our family in that decision was, is, is the verse in, uh, I think it's Second Peter, that says that, that husbands are to dwell with their, their wives according to knowledge. And I know wives like that verse, you know, because it's, it, you know, it's, it's a way to, to get what you want, you know, or whatever. But really, from a husband's perspective, I had to ask myself, what would I be requiring my wife to do to go back to the mission field? She would have gone. She told me that. She would have gone. But see, that principle guided the decision. You see, that's, that's the way the Word of God, as an example of the way the Word of God is a counsel to us. So when I made that decision, though it was hard and though people had questions and doubts and such, yet I could, I could know that I made the right decision because I, know, I knew that my counselor was right. You see what I'm saying? And so that's how we use God's word. We, 
We, but listen, none of that matters if we don't know the Bible. So let's move on to our next set of eight. Look at verse number 25. We've covered that already, so I'll move past it quickly. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. You know, you think of dust as one, one commentator I was reading was talking about dust, relating that to the flesh because mankind was made of the dust of the, of the ground. And how that, how that even as a Christian, we have the Spirit of God, we have a new nature, yet we are attached to the flesh, right? And I thought that was a good application of this. Yet we ask God to quicken us and lift our eyes up to that which is heavenly, that which is spiritual and eternal. Verse 26 says this, I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Ari, can you open up to Psalm number 66 and read a verse for us? Psalm 66, verse number 18. Before you read it, I want to read this just a second. I'm going to read verse 26 again. Look at the words. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Go ahead. See, that's the opposite. The Lord will not, because he will not hear me because I regard iniquity in my heart. In one case, the man is open, like an open book and transparent with God about what he has been doing. In the other, the man is secretive with God, as if God doesn't know. He cherishes and hides iniquity, sin. One is open, the other is closed. One man is heard, the other is, is given God's deaf ear. Open confession of sin and of evil, open confession of the evil of our sin, with, listen now, without excuse and without justification is the requirement to receive forgiveness. The Lord wants us to name it, right? When we sin, he wants us to name it to him. That's what the psalmist is doing, declaring his ways. No excuses, no justification, no diversion. He wants us to name it. And that's actually a good principle to apply when you're seeking forgiveness from a, a person as well. Anything else other than open naming of our sin and its evil without excuse and without justification, anything else falls short. Listen to this. This is what Spurgeon said in the Treasure of David. Such a declaration proves that the man knows his own condition and he is no longer blinded by pride. Our confessions, listen to the, these words, our confessions are not meant to make God know our sins, but to make us know our sins. You see, when we confess openly to God, we're saying, God, I did it. No excuse. And it is wicked. That's the way the Lord wants us to talk to him. Sometimes we're afraid to do that. We're ashamed to do that. This is why you go to God, just you and God in your prayer closet and you talk to God about it. But if we don't do that, he will not hear us. Psalm 66 verse 18. If we uh, put it like this, 
If we deal falsely with the Lord concerning our deeds or we willfully ignore our wicked ways, that is a sure way to stop God's ear from our prayers. This is what it means to have that kind of confession. I have declared my ways. There's nothing hiding. You're an open book to the Lord. And you know what? We really, really need a, a radical upending of, of our relationship to the Lord in this way. We really, we really need to take the facades and the hypocrisy and all that stuff out, and we need to deal with God, as the, as the old writers used to say, plainly and truly. We need to deal with God just, just honestly about where we are with Him. Declare our ways. And then the Bible says He hears us. So by naming the evil and calling it as such, God hears us. It seems contradictory, but that's how it works. Verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Notice that understanding of God's precepts leads to speaking of God's precepts. Now, hear me, hear me really quick. Many people ascribe many things to God and blame Him for all sorts of things. They blame Him and, and uh, ascribe to God all kinds of things that are evil. And they say God is the doer of it. This is a work of God. Let me give you an example. Many, many people today say, I was born gay. God made me this way. The, listen, the, and I use this term loosely, the gay Christian community is a growing thing. It's a growing thing. And it is a serious matter to be, you, th you think, you know what, you have people that are, that are involved in sodomy and then you have Christian. No, no, they're, they're together now. Let me explain something to you though. They say, God made me this way. And it's not just that. So in other words, they ascribe to God this work. I'm just doing what God made me to do. Here's the thing. And it's not just something maybe that extreme. We all the time, people all the time are saying, God did this. God did that. God's this. You know, people speak in tongues, even though it's totally not scriptural. And they say, God is the one that's causing people to speak in tongues. All kinds of things people ascribe to God and say, God's doing it. God is the doer of it. How do we know what God does? The Word of God, period. The Word of God, period. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. We know what God is doing by what He says. And so when we know what he's doing by what he says, because we've seen what he's done in the past, he's told us his will, we don't have to wonder. Then we can look at what's happening in the present and we can say, we judge it. Amen. You judge it yes. by the word of God. And you can say, maybe not in 100% of the cases, but you can often say, God's not the doer of that. And we can also see, God is the doer of this. Amen. God did this because it's consistent with His Word. Amen. God is at work now. Yes. He's not just at work in the past in the, in the Scripture. He's at work now. 
The only way we can know what he's doing, though, is by the word of God. Again, we can be deceived if we're not a Bible Christian. We have to know what the Bible says. Every one of us in this room, everyone in our church ought to be intelligent with the Bible. We ought to know what it says. And if there's an area that we don't know, we ought to research it and study it out until we know. We should not be ignorant about these things. I can see I'm not going to get very far, but we'll cover verse 28 and then we'll, we'll call, call it a day. By the way, our memory verse for this week is verse 32, okay? That's the assigned one. Of course, you can do another in the set of eight, but the one I will be looking at is verse 32, okay? Verse 28, my soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. You know, there are are 10 times in this Psalm 119 that that phrase is used, according to thy word. Now, I want to just remind you of something. The psalmist is making a request of God. He has a prayer request. He's praying and asking God to do something. But he says, Lord, do this thing according to thy word. You know, we would benefit greatly by adding this little tag to our prayer. It fir- by, by saying, Lord, do this according to what you said. Lord, this is what you said. Lord, I'm asking you to do something now because you said this. See that? You're pleading and claiming his word Amen. on your prayer. That's what the psalmist is doing. But it requires first that you are thoroughly acquainted with God's word. How can you claim God's word if we don't, how how can we claim his word if we don't know his word? We know what God's word records. We know what it teaches and we know what it says. We are well informed. We are experts. Listen, Bible Christians ought to be Bible experts. Because when we know what it says, records and teaches, When we pray that prayer, we can say, Lord, save this person, my loved one, who is not saved, because you said that you are not willing that any should perish. That's what it means to pray according to his word. But also, secondly, we make our prayer request on the basis of what God's word says, reminding him, of what He has promised, and of what He has done. His wonderful works, wondrous works that He has done, recorded in the Bible. We remind Him of those things that He has done in the past. Lord, I know this person is a hard case, but Lord, You saved Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, So I just want to encourage you, when you pray, use the Lord's Word. Add that little tag by faith, you know. Add that tag and pray the Lord's Word to Him. Lord, answer this request of mine. You know, that request can be anything. I mean, of course, anything within His will, of course. But that, can be, that request can be as big as your, the, your, the imagination of your faith, if I can put it like that. But if you know his word, you can, you, can, you can remind him, Lord, 
This is what you've done. This is what you've said. This is what you, you have described as what you want. So I'm praying according to that. Answer according to that. And I hope adding that tag will maybe energize our prayer. Let's pray together.